Well, good morning, Pillar Church. Uh, my name is Kanan Parker. Good morning to all you guys who are watching at home. Hope the stream works well for you. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue up and finish a series we've been going through concerning the church, its members, its elders, and its deacons. Uh, we're going to continue through that series. If you've been following along, we started off with a sermon about church membership. And we talked about why is it biblical, why it's important, and all the benefits that come with covenanting together as God's people. We talked about that about a month ago, a little bit over a month ago. And then we moved from there to talk about the, 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 the job or the duty of the elder in the church. Uh, the elder, the pastor, the overseer, or in another word for it is bishop. We talked about that particular role and their responsibilities as God would define their role and responsibilities. And it's important that we look at those roles and responsibilities as God would define them and not as our culture would define them. Because if we allow our culture to define what God has instituted, we become whatever it is some man's opinion of us is. And so a pastor, an elder, an overseer has a particular role, and that role is dictated and governed by God, not by what anybody else tells us. We talked about the role of membership in the church, and that is dictated and governed by God, not by anybody else in our country or in our community. And then last week, we looked at the position of deacon, and we looked at what a deacon is and what a deacon is does. Last week we looked at this and this information should be in your cross-reference sheet in your bulletin. You can, you can find it there. First we said what does the word deacon mean? And we saw that the word deacon means minister or servant. A deacon was an official extension of the ministry of the elders and you see that role kind of designated for example in Philippians 1.1. Then we talked about why were the deacons instituted, right? Why, why, why did their existence Arise, And we saw that from Acts chapter 6, that the deacon was to bring and work tangible solutions to logistical issues concerning the local church. That's the duty of the deacon. And we talked about what their role was. Oh, no, that's what their role is. Um, why they were instituted was to serve and help be an extension of the ministry of the elders at the local church. This morning, we're going to look at the question of the qualifications of a deacon. What is it that a deacon must be in order to qualify as one? And the issue of qualifications is, is vital. You all have uh, experienced the issue of qualifications before. Have you ever had to hire somebody or partner with somebody, and you took more stock in the letters behind their name than the content of their character? Y'all ever see that? Or maybe at your job, you're up for that promotion, but you didn't get it because the incoming individual had a particular set of letters behind their name that made them seem more qualified for the job than you. You ever see that? Y'all can talk to me. Y'all know that, right? Y'all got to be still. Please talk to your boy. Y'all experienced that? Has that happened? Now, I'm not downgrading the necessity of letters behind your name. Get your education. Education is great. But the letters behind the name can be deceiving if the character of the man is compromised. We do this a lot in the church where we bring up and raise up people who have been schooled and educated in theology. That's good. That's great. But there's more to just being theologically astute. That, that, uh, to, there's more than just being theologically astute to being a pastor. You can read Greek and Hebrew, but if you're a jerk, you can't serve people. You can't help them. Go write a book. Never meet anybody. That's how you bless. 
in the economy of God, the character of a man or a woman is of first importance to the qualification of a position in his church. He firstly will look at you. What are you made of? What do you believe? How do you act in light of your belief before you're ever deemed qualified to do anything in any official capacity in and for his local church? Look in your cross-reference sheet or turn in your Bible quickly to Acts chapter 6. We read this. This was the text from last Sunday. But we're going to look at it this Sunday, not looking for what the deacon has to do, but we're going to look for it looking as to what the deacon must be. And as we go through it, I'm going to highlight little bits and pieces of it to remind us of what we spoke of last week. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. The text says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Stop there. Remember what we saw in that text. If we didn't read it too quickly, we saw a race and a cultural beef occurring in the early church in Acts chapter 6. The Hebraic Jew, the, the, the Hellenistic Jews, or the Jews who have been influenced by Greek culture, felt like they were being overlooked in the daily distribution by the, the Hebraic Jews, those who believed themselves to be authentically Jewish. And there was a complaint like, why are we not getting the daily distribution that we ought to give? Because there was inherent within the Hebraic Jews, there was a large swath of such who had a superiority complex. We're real, you're not, they, they, they believed in, 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 in vast number. And the Hellenistic Jews are sitting here like, yo, why are we not getting what we're supposed to get? And the text clearly highlights that it's a cultural beef by naming their cultures. To show you that, we can take comfort in that and have pain in that. We take comfort knowing that the racial and cultural issues of our day are not unique to us. It was happening in the early church, too. But it's painful that it was happening in the early church. And I think that if we can play our position the right way, the early church can be, I mean, the church now can be a catalyst for change in these areas. It ought to be. Let's see what the early church did. Look at verse 2. It says, The twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Stop there. Now let me correct your Western thinking. It seems like that's derogatory. We can't give up preaching the word as if that's some higher level of a Christian to serve these tables. No, that's not what they're saying. They're not putting a value on it. They're just making sure that they play their position. You see, what Satan would want us to do and what the world would want us to do and what I tried to highlight earlier is that everybody wants to dictate what it is an elder or a pastor or anybody should be doing for them. But God has appointed these men as apostles and elders to lead the local church by teaching and preaching the word of God. They say that their mission is the word of God and prayer. But they know they can't neglect the need for the, of the Hellenistic Jews. And what Satan would want us to do is to be either all word and no action or all action and no word. We're either so concerned with helping the people on the street that we neglect to give them the gospel of Christ that can save their soul and reunite the, the schisms in the world, or we preach the gospel but we never tread in the street to give it to them. We stay in the building. 
I mean, just stay getting educated. But what the apostles saw was that there's a need that arose for both word in the church and action in the streets because the word in the church should lead you to action in the streets. That's how you know it's marinating in the soul properly. That's how you know there's flavor in that. Because the word of God always will lead you to action. What you do is a byproduct of what you believe. And if you believe that all men are made in God's image and you have an inherent care for those men because God has called you to, then you will go out and care for those out there who bear God's image. It's a natural, it's a natural reaction that you would have as a result of the word. But the apostles are wise. They know, no, we can't be all this and we can't be all that because nobody is good trying to be all things. Some of y'all, that's you. You get your toes dabbling in 500 different things. You do none of them excellent. God is like, no, I call these men to be elders, to serve as elders no matter what. And so this is what they proposed. Verse 3. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint for this duty. Did you see the character traits that are first mentioned? Before he said anything else, he says, find seven men who have what? Good reputation, full of the Spirit of God. That's A1 for service in the church. What are these guys going to do? Serve some tables. When you're looking for volunteers to serve tables, are you like, oh, guys, before you draft any volunteers, make sure they have a good reputation and they're full of the Spirit of God. We ought to. We ought to because that's what the early church did. Before they could just serve the daily distribution of food to the people, they said they had to be men full of the spirit of God and of good reputation. God ordained a solution to the issue of neglect by cultural lines. He didn't ignore it, but it didn't mean that they had to change and play a different position to accomplish it. Look at verse four. They solidify what their role is. But we, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice that the church is called for two things, word and deed. And notice that there is an office set up in the church for two things, for word and deed. If we would just play those roles out, I think the church would be more effective, not only in your souls, but in the life of its community. God desired that these men have a good reputation, full of wisdom. What we're going to do is looking at the rest of the qualifications, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we're going to look at a more classic text concerning the office of deacon. As you turn into 1 Timothy chapter 3 last week, I had talked about what a deacon does, and a deacon inherently has the heart of a servant. It's like they can't not serve. They can't not give of their giftings to the people. They have to do it. That's the heart of a deacon. But if you're to do that in an official capacity for the church, then you have to be a person of good reputation, a person full of the spirit of God. And then verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us further clarification on what a deacon ought to be. And I hope and pray that many of you aspire to be deacons in the local church. Because as the church grows, the need for hands increase. The need for logistical help increases. 
And if, that, if those hands, if those logistical issues are dealt with, the elders can, uh, can focus all their attention on soul care while the deacons can fi- focus all their attention on the tangible needs of people. And it's not one, it's vastly more. That they both need to come together. Together, it's a coin with two heads. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, should be, here are more, more character traits, right? The first thing they say, he says, Paul says, they have to be worthy of respect. That means they can't be a clown. It says the same thing about elders. They need to be worthy of respect. The old school word for it, do you remember? It starts with a G. I said it last week or two weeks ago. Gravitas. Right? There has to be some weight to that person. Like they walk in their room and they, there's a presence about them. Because they are people who are to lead by affecting change. And you can't be a clown dude and affect change. No one takes you serious. you got to be worthy of respect. But then it says they can't be hypocritical. They can't be given to wine, drinking a lot of wine. They can't be greedy for money. Notice that these character traits are listed before any mental faculties are listed. There's a, a, a podcaster who says this, I love this phrase from him. There's a lot of things from him I don't love, but I love this. This is great. Listen to this. He says, when it comes to leadership in the church, people would rather follow someone who's always real over someone who's always right. People will always follow the authentic ones, not the ones who are always correct. Authenticity breeds common ground. Common ground breeds transparency. Transparency breeds healing. That means a healthy church. An authentic relationship with Jesus ought to be true for every Christian, but it must absolutely be true for the deacon. If you, if you aspire to be a deacon, it has to be true. That means that the deacon cannot be fickle in his Christianity. He cannot be fickle as a Christian. He can't be non-dedicated as a Christian. Know what they say about elders is the same about, about deacons. They say that elders begin eldering before they ever become an elder. They just start shepherding souls. Well, the same is true for deacons. They just start serving without being told to serve. It's just innate within them. They serve because that's what they do. This is who they are. This is how God has wired them. And that's how he's wired some of you. You just can't help yourself. You have to serve. That's the heart of a deacon. Not only does he, uh, not only... Can he not be greedy and has to be worthy of respect and not hypocritical? But look at verse 9. The deacon has to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What does that mean? It means that a deacon cannot be iffy on the gospel. If a deacon is iffy on the gospel, he ought not be a deacon in the local church. The deacon has to understand that the gospel, the blood of Jesus, is for the brokenhearted. It's for them, because Jesus makes them whole with his tender hand. The blood of Jesus is for the immoral. It's for the immoral, because Jesus rescues them with his faithful love. The blood of Jesus is for the lonely, because Jesus will comfort them with his indiscriminatory omnipresence. The blood of Jesus is for the sinner in general who is in need of a savior because Jesus gives his life as a substitute before God so that God sees his righteousness over 
your life. He gives you his righteousness and he takes upon himself your sin. Jesus' blood is for the races. That's who it's for. Because Jesus breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between peoples and cultures. It's for them. The blood of Jesus is for the impoverished. That's what it's for, so that they cannot be, so that they are not ashamed in their lowly state, but they experience the love of God not based on bank account amounts but based inherently because they are made in his image. And he loves them in such a way that he gives his son to redeem their soul. The blood of Jesus is for the wealthy, to remind them that they are of the same status as the lowly and that they trust not, they dare not trust not in their riches, which could be gone tomorrow. In the church, the blood of Jesus is for the jacked up people. Y'all understand that? It's not for the perfect. The perfect need no redemption. But what's the problem? None are perfect. Which means when you come here, you come with your lowliness, your brokenness, your poverty, your shame. You bring it here to the people of God that they may serve your soul in word and in deed. Together you experience wholeness. That's what the gospel is for. There's no exclusion from it. It's no come and hear the truth and come experience the people of God loving your soul. That's what it's for many of us in this room have experienced the church where you got to transform to go in no no you come in to be transformed that's what the body is for the gospel is uniquely built to save kings and peasants with the same words in the same way that's what the gospel does the gospel will save white men black men asian men hispanic men with the same words in the same way. The gospel transcends all of that so that we come in here and look like Revelation 7, 9. I don't know if you've looked around, but God does that stuff. Saves people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The gospel shifts, oh, y'all think it doesn't hit politics. The gospel shifts the hearts of the lawmakers and legislators. So that they're cognizant about the laws that they create that step on certain people and uplift others. The gospel does that in the heart of people, y'all. That's what it does. It's important. It matters. It transforms things for real. And the deacon has to know that gospel, believe that gospel, so that we can serve without discrimination. The gospel is going to call out of you any superiority or inferiority complex you may have. And both of them exist. Some people believe they are better. Some people have an inherent belief that they are worse. But the gospel lowers the boom on everybody equally and says all of y'all are desperate sinners in need of a savior. And I am that savior. And nothing materialistically separates one person from another in my economy. Otherwise, we get classes in the church. We get factions in the church. We get deacons caring about the distributions of one people over the distributions of another. But if they know the gospel and they're men of integrity and people of integrity, then they can serve out of that reality. And the person who's quiet in the corner never gets left out. It's hard to do because we're jacked up. You're all sinners still. 
redeemed by God, praise God, but we're sinners. So we need to call one another out in this. Repent in this. Be humble in this. And be learning the gospel every day. Learn it again and again and again and again. It doesn't stop when you become a Christian. The blood of Jesus is mighty to save all. If it saved in the first century as to why the early church grew, it still saves in the 21st century. The same gospel, same message, if we would only truly worship his name. And I want to call all of you to this, to stop giving Jesus lip service Christianity. What we do is we give Jesus lip service Christianity and then we criticize the church for not being what God has called it to be. Man, if the church should be doing that, where are you at? You the church be, not the building. No more fickleness in your faith. No more hiding from community and then complaining about not having community. Guilty? Don't raise your hand. I know you're guilty. You know how I know you're guilty? Because I'm guilty of the same thing. Complain all the while not putting my feet in. We need to just be tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and turning from a lackadaisical faith headlong into a Jesus who really saves and into a community who really prays. There are some prayer warriors in the church here and, out, and, and, and abroad that will pray for your soul if you will but be transparent and bear it on them. Erase the pride. Erase the I don't want to share this. Not here. Not here. The deacon must know the gospel. However, the deacon is not to be a teacher of the gospel. That's not a qualification of the deacon. The deacon has, doesn't have to be one to stand up on a stage and proclaim and teach biblical content to the people of the church. That's not the role of the deacon. As we learned last week, what's the deacon's role? Tangible solutions to logistical material issues. Full of the spirit, handling the material. That's the role of the deacon. But they still need to know the gospel so they can serve from, that under, from the understanding of the gospel and serve without discrimination. The gospel ought to inform and direct the fervor of their service. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as a deacon. So basically that means we have to haze you. No, I'm playing. That's not what that means. I just want to see if y'all was awake. Ain't no hazing going on in the church. It seems that to be tested, and there's difference in understanding in this, but it seems that this way, that the concept of being tested, we see this in early church writings. Uh, there's not much biblical verses or support for this, but it seems basically that it's saying over time, the deacon must show proof of both spiritual fidelity and mental faculties. That's what it seems to be. Is the person dedicated spiritually to the people of God, and do they have the mental faculties to accomplish the task assigned by the elders for them to do? That's kind of what it seems like the answer is. The deacon has to be able to demonstrate their holiness, their connectedness, and their ability to handle the logistical and material issues that arise around the local church. But look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. It says, wives, likewise should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. And I want y'all to hear me here. This verse brings a lot of controversy with it. Some people read this verse and believe that it's addressing the wives of the deacons. 
But I don't think that's what that verse is saying. I believe, we believe that this verse is a clarion call for the ladies that are within the church to exercise their God-given gifts by serving the people of God in the role of deacon. And I believe that for a few reasons, what we see and what we don't see in the text. Let's first look at what we do see. We do see this, the office of deacon is not a teaching office. One, the verse is not, uh, the idea of teaching is never mentioned in their job description, but, uh, but two, we, we see that the scriptures, uh, the teaching position is to be held by elders in the church, and that uh, uh, that position is to be held by men. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. That should be in your cross-reference sheet. Therefore, if the, the role of teacher or teaching is not inherent within the position of elder, there is no other biblical prohibition against ladies holding this particular office. Second thing, the term for wives is gine here. Gine is, is translated as wives correctly, but it's also translated as women. Third thing, in your Bible it says the word likewise, or maybe it says to, right? The existence of the term likewise or to in the text indicates a continuation of the qualifications of a deacon, not the stoppage of it to address their wives. He's continuing a flow of thought by the word in your English translation as to or likewise. And three, given the society's patriarchal bent, uh, Paul is making it clear that the ladies who serve in this role are worthy of just as much respect as their male counterparts, which is why he freezes to say that they too are uh, to be worthy of respect. Now, what don't we see? If this text is only speaking about the wives of deacons, why does Paul neglect to mention the wives of elders in the section above? Is it that the elders' wives are less important than the deacons' wives? No, I don't think so. I think a proper translation would be, for, it would be, he's speaking of the role of deacon in general, and then he says, women also exercising their gifts in the church through this role are worthy of respect, but they also cannot be, what does the text say? They also cannot be slanderous, they must be self-controlled and faithful in everything. We believe that this text is giving our ladies a, 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 a platform to exercise their gifts in the church. The office of deacon is to be held by both men and women to exercise their unique giftings and the benefit of the church and the, under the oversight of the elders. Guys, that's not me wanting it to say that. I honestly believe that if we read the text openly, that is what the text indicates. So ladies, y'all can stand up and use your gifts in this particular role here at Pillar Church. Use that more. We need your gifts. We need your skills. Men's brains go one way. We need y'all's brains up in the mix. Half our men couldn't find their socks this morning. That was me. We see this, as, for example, in Romans 16, verse 1, where Phoebe is mentioned as definite article, the deacon of Centria. Verse 11 says, wives likewise should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, 
self-controlled, faithful in everything. And if the deacon is a man, he's to be, verse 12, the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own household competently, still leading his home, still leading his children and his wife, and he's to do so competently. The deacon is to be faithful, competent, honorable. If the person does not match these qualifications, he or she is in no way qualified to be a deacon in the local church. Look at verse 13. For those who served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. What is that saying? Paul is reminding us that deacon is not a second tier office. Know what we do? Please don't do this. I don't know how many times I'm going to tell you all this. Never lift me or the other elders up anywhere high. Keep us nice and low because we are people. And we do the same with our deacons. Deacon is an honorable office, worthy of respect. And in many places, they seem like the JV team to the elders. That not be the case. They are indispensable to the work of the church. They are needed and they are to be heralded as honorable, according to the text. And Paul makes sure to say that, that they acquire a good standing for themselves. It's an office within the church that is ordained, that God has ordained to serve as a complementary hand and feet to the elders' work of word, people, and prayer. Elders are the word, deacons are the deed in the hands. And if they play their position well, you'll see the church move forward with strength. With all peoples, all entities, all businesses, all anything is strongest when it plays its position. You walk with power and speed when your feet know that they're feet, right? When they're not jealous and want to be the eyeball. But when they're good being feet, the body moves forward. Well, when elders can play their position, deacons can play their position, members can play their position, the church will move forward with thunder, intelligence, doctrinal fidelity, hands in the streets. Everybody going to know that this place is here to serve them if they would just play their position and not be all word, all deed, satanic lie. Not be the pastor supposed to be or the deacon supposed to be. No, what does the text say they're supposed to be? I think if the biblical deacon plays his position, the church will care for people in a holistic way, in an honorable way. Elders and deacons working together to lead people closer to Jesus and each other. This is God's design, and it's incredible. Verse 14 and 15. I'm just going to read these. He says, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. Paul is not with the church in Ephesus here. He says this, verse 15, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves where? In God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Thus is the role of member in the church, as we talked about a few months ago elder in the church a few weeks ago and deacon in the church last week and this morning. This is God's design. If God has called you to be, pray, come to your elders and let us ask God to ascribe to this body deacons who will serve the people in this church and in this community. Amen.
Lord, thank you for uh, instructing us as to what your word says. It's not often that we hear a sermon about a deacon, about what they do, what's their role, what are their qualifications, why do they exist. But you've blessed Pillar Church in being able to have multiple sermons on this. And though, Lord, they're not particularly flashy, I pray that we have a better grasp now on your design for your church. And then from that firm foundation of understanding the offices of the church, we can thus serve out of those offices well. That the members of the church would serve in every member ministry as the text ascribes. That the deacons would bring tangible and logistical uh, solutions to issues. That the elders would serve people through the word of God and prayer. And that we would see holistic ministry happening starting in this church and oozing out into this community. May the people of this community see Jesus through the members, its elders, and its deacons. And may we serve the same God in the same way with the same gospel that would save their soul and draw them onto you. Not unto pillar, but unto you. All glory goes to you, Christ Jesus. Save souls and heal hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.